So I want you to picture the scene. You're tired. Okay, easy for some of us to picture that. You're tired, it's been a long day, and you crawl into bed. And you, you want to let, she's too tired to even read, you just turn the light off straight away, you just, you curl up, and you're just like ready for some sleep. And then you hear it. You hear the sound, you're praying that you're imagining it, but you're not imagining it. Wah! Wah! The baby's crying, he's not just crying, he's screaming, and you need to get out of bed. You drag yourself out, you're like, come on, Lord, give me strength. You go, you drag yourself to the room, you open the door, and that's when it hits you. The smell. Your eyes start to water. We got code brown. We've got code brown. The baby is screaming. You've got to go get the baby up. It's still like the screaming is a lot. The smell is a lot. You put them down and changing it. Has anyone here changed the nappy? Look over here. There's a few of you guys in the room. When they're stationary, it's okay, right? But in the middle of the night, there's all sorts going on and they're, they're writhing around trying to. It's like a crocodile death roll. You ever seen that on David Attenborough? And I'll spare you the details. What you need to know is the nappy was changed. <laughs> the baby went back to sleep, and it was all fine. Um, but why, why do I do that? It's not because I love changing nappies. It's not because I love changing nappies. I do that because I'm devoted to my son in love. And I'm legally bound to a duty of care. <laughs> so apparently I have to do it. <laughs> But we're here uh, to talk about our values as a church. As Alan has been talking about, we've got to be family at this time. And the series that we've been going through is about our values as a family. And I don't think it's an accident that this was planned long ago that's going to carry us through this season. What are the core things that we want to carry? What's the lifeblood that runs through us in our small communities and as a wider family um, that's going to make us be a church that's for the city? What's the culture that we can instill that's going to help us go out and bring the kingdom of God into Sheffield? And family is one of those things. So we've got a first slide up here. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about honor um, and the family value of honor. And we're looking, so we've already looked at the presence of God. We've looked at hospitality last week, which was great. How do we radically love the stranger? And in the future, we're looking at humility, good relationships, and the series will go on. But if we've not met before, my name's Luke. It's great to be here. I'm a curate, so a trainee vicar. And in a couple of years, I will be leading a planting team, a bit like Nick Latimer, out into the city with my wife, Hannah, and my son, Isaac, the aforementioned crocodile rolling baby. But today, if you've got a Bible, we're going to jump into the book of Romans. So if you've got one, you might want to go there. It's going to be on the screens as well. Uh, Romans is an amazing letter. It's one of the best pieces of writing about Jesus and theology. It's all in one place. And across the letter, Paul writes to the churches in Rome who have heard about Jesus through someone else. It's not a church that he started, but he's trying to give them a synopsis of like, who's Jesus? What's the gifts that he gives us? How do we fit in to this greater narrative of God and Israel? Uh, and he does this amazing work of theology through the earlier chapters. And by the time we get to verse t- for chapter 12, Paul is explaining about the blueprint of what it means to be a Christian. What does a Christian community really look like? And the first half of the chapter, we've got verses 1 to 8, um, Paul sets up the narrative. Because what he says in verse 9 to 21, which we're going to read in a moment, is pretty intense. Like, it's hard. 
Like to do the stuff that he says is, is a pretty big challenge. But he sets the context in verses 1 to 8. And he starts off with that famous verse. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Talking about the sacrifice that it takes. Um, and then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think this is helpful context before we dive into the, the things that Paul lists off that we should be. Because without Jesus, we, we won't be able to do it. Without Jesus, the stuff that it talks about in Romans 12, is, it's impossible. But we've got to shake off the conforming of the patterns of this world. We've got to shake off what culture tells us or what, what the, we experience in the world. And we've got to be transformed by Jesus. And then we can create communities that Paul describes here. And in my Bible, the title, I don't know what it is in yours, for mine it says Love in Action. And I think it's this kingdom vision that Paul gives us in this section of Romans chapter 12, which we can grab hold of for the city of Sheffield. It says this, Romans 12, starting at verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And this is the key verse for today. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Then it gets even harder. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow, Paul. Give us a chance, mate. Come on. <laughs> just, just be friends with absolutely everyone and live at peace with all people. Like, it's pretty intense. It's difficult, isn't it? And I think what Paul's giving us here, this beautiful vision, I wanted to zoom in on verse 10, because I think that verse 10 kind of encapsulates a lot of what he's writing about. And verse 10, it says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. And what does Paul mean by this? You know, what, what does that actually mean to be devoted to one another in love and to honor one another above ourselves? Like, how far do we go? on that. Like, honor is quite an old-fashioned word. What does it even mean? So, one of the definitions I read was that uh, honor means to demonstrate a high respect or a great esteem for someone. Honoring is about saying you put great value on another person. It's all about raising up the person in front of you. And I've got this, this great quote, if we could pop it on the screens, uh, is that honor is the operating system of the kingdom of God. It's the operating system of the kingdom of God. that We say to each other, when you win, I win. 
There isn't this comp competitive, like trying to outdo one another, but it's when you win, I win. It's all about building this value system. And in fact, in the ESV, verse 10, it says, outdo one another in the way that you honor others. Like, it's like be competitive in honoring each other, in putting value on the other person. Because I think the opposite of honor, like putting value onto someone, is contempt, where we take value away from people. So instead of seeing them and seeing the value and putting value on them, we see people in, in contempt. We are, we're doing the opposite. We're lowering their value. So for me, when I show contempt most is when I'm playing football and I'm put on the bench and whoever is playing in the position that I think I should be playing in, they're getting a lot of contempt from me. I'm like, that guy, he's not even that good. I'm so much better than that guy. Oh, my God, look at that. Oh, I gave the ball away again. That, so that's my sin. You know, that's me. I wonder what yours is. Um, so there's honor and there's content, and it's all about value. And to illustrate this, you know, um, experiencing the difference between a culture of contempt and a culture of honor, something that I experienced when I was growing up. Um, so I'm a younger brother. Is anyone a younger brother in the house? Uh, or a sibling, or an, an older sibling? So I'm both. So I'm going to say things about my older brother. It's all true of me. My younger brother is actually in the house. He can, he can attest that I wasn't. It's just the way of the world, right? The older brother bullies the younger brother. That's just how it goes. So my older brother, growing up, you know, he was, he loved to put down comment. He was all there for the banter, but just the like, letting you know your place, you know, physical violence, you know, when necessary, but like, you know your place as the younger brother. Um, little comments, you'd be a little bit on edge all the time. And then he went away to this uh, internship at an amazing church, and all about discipleship, growing in the Lord. And he came back and he'd come in and he'd walk towards you and he'd be like, and he'd be like, hey, how are you? So it's okay, like, how was your day? Are you all right? And he'd offer you a lift and he'd be like, do you want to borrow my iPod and do this? And be like, what's happened to you? Um, but his, he would be giving great value. And it was the difference was incredible that you see it and you experience this culture of honor. And I think that we are we're battling as well. So there's, that's, the, that's the goal, really. And we're battling a cultural narrative. There's this whole cancel culture idea. We write people off. We don't want to give them any value if they don't deserve it. They believe that. They follow that party. They do that thing. Sorry, see you later. We've got to be fighting against that as the church. And it's not just a culture. I felt, um, I felt like I should say it's not just a culture that's in the world and outside the church. Like, if you look at how we respond as a wider church towards, like, the leaders that fall from grace or the theologians that say something a little bit dodgy, we write them off, don't we? And this is a culture, like, the challenge that Jesus is giving us is how are we going to be honoring the people around us and, and fighting this council culture. And I believe that what God is calling us to do is to develop an honor lens, developing this idea of how we can see other people in the way that Jesus sees other people. And when we grasp hold of what Jesus sees, then we will be able to outdo one another in love. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's challenging, isn't it, folks? It's easy to honor your friends. It's easy to honor that person at church who you know works a really tough job and they do loads of stuff for church, even though you don't really know them. It's easy to honor this person or that person. But what about the people that aren't easy to honor? They're not easy to love. This says everyone. Honor everyone. And we see in the life of Jesus that he doesn't just pick and choose. You know, He goes after everyone. 
So I wonder how it is that you respond to the person that you find difficult. That's the challenge today. How do you honor someone? How do you love someone? And I'm going to look at just three questions that we can ask ourselves about the person that stood before us. Three questions that I believe Jesus constantly asks and reminds us. So the first one, when you're faced with that person is, who are they? Who is this person in front of me? Who are they? Is it just uh, whoever it might be? Or is it a child of God, a son and daughter of the Most High, made in the image of our Heavenly Father, who is this um, demonstration of a part of Jesus' character, someone who um, has the invitation by Jesus to go into the throne room of God for all eternity and to worship with the angels. Like, is that who we're seeing in front of us? Or are we just seeing a person? We see Jesus do this in Luke 19. There's this beautiful story about a little man called Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. You might know the story, but he was kind of seen as the lowest of the low, because what he was doing, there was an invading, like, oppressive kind of regime going on, and he was basically working for them. And he was taking money, taxes, from his own people. He was taking tax on top of the tax, keeping money for himself and giving loads more money than he should really be giving to the occupying people. Like, he was not loved, not honored. He was not a liked person. But when Jesus comes to town, everyone comes out to see him. He's the honored person in that city on that day. There are crowds and crowds, and he climbs a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. And when Jesus walks past him, he stops, doesn't he? He stops, he looks up, he says, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to have dinner at your house today. And he sees him. He doesn't just see this tax collector, he sees Zacchaeus, who he was made to be, who he is. And later on in the story, if you look at verse 9, he says, Zacchaeus, you are a son of Abraham, and you will go on to do this and this and this. And Zacchaeus turns his life around. But Jesus, in that moment, he reminds him, you're a son of Abraham, reminds him of his identity, the promise to Abraham, which is a promise to him that he will be blessed by God to go and be a blessing to many. Jesus sees who we are. When we see people, are we asking that question? The second thing is the question that we should ask is, where have they been? What, what have they been through? What is the person in front of me carrying behind them? What's the story that they've lived so far? What are the sacrifices that this person has made in order to just get through life with a little bit of dignity intact? Then if you've heard the analogy that like we're all dragging around our story like a boulder, and for some it's a much bigger boulder than others, and the, 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 the game is, you know, the task is, can you look behind the person and just look at what they're carrying? Because some people are really, they're dragging some heavy stuff. They're dragging some real trauma, some, some real past hurts. Uh, and when we don't recognize that, then it's hard to honor people. I don't know if you've ever done this, if you ever worked with someone, or spent time with someone, they're in the same group as you in some situation, and they just drive you crazy. Oh my gosh, could you just not come for a few weeks? Just give me a break. I don't know, everything they say, it just winds you up. Maybe this is a revealing of my character more than yours. Um, and sometimes, you probably don't know this, but sometimes you even say to someone like, I hope they don't come back. <laughs> or like, oh, they're still here. Um, I don't know if that's you, if you can relate or not, but what happens with me often is if I get into that headspace and then maybe six weeks, six months down the line, you find out something about their life. You hear about what they've been through. 
you hear a story of their home situation or, or where they were brought up or what, what happened to them 10 years ago or what they're still battling with now or that court case or that thing or that accident. And you think, oh man, oh, it all makes sense. Like the behavior they're displaying, like it's obviously a direct result of that thing. How could I have just been so just self-centered just to not think to even look at what they were going through? And you have to ask for forgiveness and repent and it's always a bit awkward. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus sees the person and he sees what's behind the person. He sees the story. And he does this with basically everyone he encounters. Just to pick out John 4, the woman at the well. Jesus goes uh, into Samaria. His disciples have gone off to get some food. He's on his own. And it's the middle of the day. It's really hot. So you don't go to a well to get water at the hottest part of the day. But he goes and there's a woman there on her own. And he shouldn't really be speaking to a woman on his own at that time as a rabbi, talking to a Samaritan. It was a bit of a, a, a cultural thing, asking them to help him with the well. That wouldn't have been done. And he sits there and he sees her and he listens to her. And he invites her to serve him. He tells her, he sees what she's gone through. You know, you've had four husbands. The man you're with now is not your husband. He sees her story. He reveals who he is to her through that story. He sees who she, he, who she is, and he offers her this well of living water. And that woman, empowered by who Jesus is, being seen and being known by the King of Kings, goes off into her town and tells everyone about Jesus. And her life is completely transformed, and the lives of others are completely transformed because he took the time to pause and to see her, see what she's carrying, and to speak life into her. It's a beautiful display of honor. Jesus honors us by recognizing where we've come from. So Jesus, he sees who we are, he sees where we've been, and he sees where we're going, what we're made for what we are made for. What is the calling on the person in front of us? What's the calling on their life? What's the piece of the garden they've been called to tend? What's the image of Jesus that they're called to reveal to the people around them? There's a beautiful story in Mark chapter 5 of a man who is um, chained up in the caves. Jesus and his disciples, they go across a lake and they go to this new place and there's a man in a cave who has got like lots of demons in him. He's a really troubled man. He's like self-harming. He's screaming. He's violent towards anyone that comes near him. And the town have felt it necessary to completely outcast him, chain him up in a cave and say, don't go near that man. He's crazy. He will fight you. He will bite you. He is not of this world. And Jesus, you know, this is a whole new region that hasn't heard anything about Jesus yet. And there's, there's thousands of people. Where does he go? He doesn't go to the town center. He goes straight to the cave. And he sees this man. He doesn't see the angry, aggressive man who's possessed by demons. He sees a man that's going to go and do great things in the name of Jesus. And he casts out the demons. that There were many, legion. Casts them out into a herd of pigs. It's a great story. If you haven't read it before, go and read it. Mark 5. And, and, he's, and then the man is, is better. And he begs Jesus that he, to let him go with him. He says, Jesus, please let me come with you. I want to see you work. I want to follow you around. And Jesus says... No, I don't want you to come with me. Why? Because he sees what this man is made for. He says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell all in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. 
I was like, what's the Decapolis? I looked it up. It's 10 cities. It's a collection of 10 cities across a whole region. One of those is Damascus, which is the current capital of Syria. Like, it's thousands and thousands of people across many, many miles. This one man who was chained up in a cave, violent and aggressive outcast, was the man that was going to bring the word of the gospel to 10 cities. Jesus sees what we're made for, and he honors people by seeing the thing that we're made to do. I wonder if you see the thing that the person in front of you is made to do. So what's our response when we see that person? How do we treat them? How do we honor someone? When we see them and we're devoted in love, I think that we see a child of God who has an invitation to a throne room for eternity, handwritten by Jesus. We see someone carrying around the weight of their story, and we see someone who's called by name to be an image bearer of Jesus, to grow the kingdom of God in their own special way. So we need to recognize this stuff in people, guys. Because when we do, the kingdom will grow. When we do, we'll start to see what Paul talks about in Romans 12 come to fruition. We'll start to see radical hospitality springing up like we heard about last week. We'll start to bless those who persecute us. We'll start to rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We'll start to live in harmony with everyone. And we will associate with people in low positions. We will overcome evil with good. That is what the kingdom of God looks like. And I wanted just to tell you a story about a guy that I know in, from London, from my time in London. I've got a picture of us here. I've covered his face. Um, this is my friend Andy. Uh, Andy is a guy that I met after church one day in the pub, after our evening service. And Andy, he first came through church through Alpha uh, at prison. He was in prison. He did an Alpha course. Then he came to our church when he came out of prison. He was on the streets for a time. He had a, a long-standing kind of battle with alcohol and many, many mental disorders. Uh, he was from Glasgow, born uh, raised in the 80s in Glasgow. And he was an electrician, and he had the most fruitful and colorful stories you've ever heard. Uh, thousands of them. I've heard many of them. And uh, he was an amazing guy. In fact, he was a real character. And do you know what happened that night at the pub? Finish church, go to the pub. And I sat next to Andy. Do you know why I sat next to Andy? Because I was paid to do it. Because <laughs> I work for the church. And I'm paid to be a pastor and to go and sit with the difficult person at the pub, right? That's part of my job. And I've been reflecting uh, on this and thinking, wow, if I wasn't paid to do that, there's so much I'd have missed. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I actually felt the nudge to go to next to him. And I want to implore you that, that we are the church and that we, we are called to go and to build relationships and to honor everyone around us. And what happened with Andy was quite amazing. Uh, just through spending lots of time with him, through getting to know him, hearing some of his stories, be behind the really the just myriad jokes uh, and stories, you, you get a, a sense of the pain and the, the stuff that he's experienced and some of his upbringing and some of the stuff that he's seen uh, starts to make sense and the hopelessness that he kind of carries in his persona, you start to make sense of it. But what happened is we invited him in as he, as he came regularly to church and he got involved with a few different groups and serving other people, coming into our home group, sitting at our table, um, you know, 
go on visits with him. I go with him to the hospital, go with him to the police station, um, go with him to different things and bringing him into uh, our home. He came to New Wine with us for a week, helping him plan his own holiday, watching him uh, to, to apply for a, a university course, seeing the hope come back into his life was one of the most profound and privileged things that I've had the, the honor of doing in my short time as a pastor so far. And watching the kingdom of God grow through the simple act of just honoring someone, putting value on them and saying, hey, how's your day? What are you up to this week? Should we go for a coffee? Through that, I was able to see the kingdom of God grow. And it was something that I nearly missed because it would have been much easier to sit with my friends. Because there's a cost to this, guys. There's a cost to being devoted in love, whether it's waking up at 3 a.m. to do a nappy or whether it's, you know, choosing not to sit with your friends, but to sit with the stranger. But I tell you what, if you want a model for what it looks like to pay the price to love someone, then it's just up here. You know, we celebrated it in communion today. It's the cross. It's what Jesus did for you, and it's what Jesus did for me. And it's what Jesus calls us to do for this community and for the city out there. Because the opportunity that we have before us is to grab hold of a culture of honor where we see others above ourselves. And as we do that, we see the kingdom of God grow because people step into their heavenly identity and they start to build the kingdom all around us in ways that we never even thought possible. And just as we come into a time of response, um, I just want to pray for us. I'm going to read a prayer, actually, from one of Isaac's uh, books. It's an amazing children's book called When I Pray For You. And uh, it talks about when you pray for someone else. And I just think that these words, this is what we should be praying over the people around us. Um, so I'm just going to read it. It rhymes. You're welcome. I pray that you love well, that the light in you swells, that the story God writes is the one that you tell. Because when I pray for you, I imagine God's view and pray all that God sees comes alive inside you. I'll pray where you go that wherever you land, you'll find purpose and meaning and a role in God's plan. That you'll know who you are and like what you do and love yourself fully as God wants you to. I'll pray you keep shining, that God keeps refining, that this, your story reflects what in you God's designing that you'll give and you'll share with compassion and care, that you live life well, that, that how you live life will to God be a prayer. Because when I pray for you, I pray all that you do brings love and brings light and helps the world shine like new. So I'm just gonna invite the band to come up and uh, we're gonna invite us to respond. So if, if you want to stand, I want to encourage you to stand. If you want to stay seated, then you can. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. You've done a lot of listening uh, already, so I just want you to just cast your eyes to Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to our hearts? Thank you, Jesus, for your transforming work. 
thank you, Jesus, for your words in Isaiah 41 that Alan read, that you've called each of us by name, that we are chosen, that we are loved, and that you, you call us to, to love others. So, Lord, would you give us eyes to see like Jesus? Give us eyes to see who people are, the heavenly identity in others. Give us eyes to see the story that people are carrying. Give us eyes, Lord, to see and prophetically call out the thing that you've designed people to do. And Lord, through this simple value of honor, would you build your kingdom here in Sheffield? wanted to just leave space for repentance because this stuff's hard and I think we can all recognize times where we've not been honoring so you can just lift your own prayer to God in your own heart or out loud just if, if your own repentance if that's right for you sorry Jesus for when I haven't seen people for who you've made them to be for the person in the room who doesn't know that they're a child of God doesn't believe it doesn't recognize the significance of where they've been and who doesn't yet see what God is calling you into I just pray right now by the spirit of God that you would know that you are a child of God you are a beloved child of God story is significant it's part of who you are it's real and that God has a plan and a purpose for your life to see the kingdom of God grow so God would you speak now to anyone who needs to hear that message As we sing, if you want someone just to stand with you and pray with you about any of those things, then feel free to come forward.